All right, let's go to that same word today. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, or according to John, chapter 17. I just want to read one verse for the introduction so we can zero in on it and pay attention to it. Where Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The title of this message is How to Win the Game of Life. But I want to just share with you that we ordinarily think of eternal life as something rather nebulous, something difficult to describe. I use the word quantity, eternal life. Well, it's not really quantity because God had no beginning, he has no end. But we have a tendency to think in those terms, eternal life, I'm going to live forever and ever, which is true. But not always do we think in terms of quality of life, how much Jesus coming into our hearts changes us. But more than that, Jesus defines for us what eternal life is. This is eternal life. Now we go beyond quantity, which again is not really appropriate to describe eternal life, to quality, but a specific type of quality that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So now, like faith and other things in the word, we have a working definition of what it is. Eternal life is knowing God, but knowing God according to what he has revealed to us. 31,102 verses of scripture, 788,000 and change of words that they might know thee. And again, Jesus reminds us, the only God. Isn't that God's plural and Lord's plural, as the Apostle Paul would write later on? There's one God, the true God. Who is he? What's he like? It's right here. So you want to be a student of the Bible. You read your Bible on a daily basis? Well, start reading God's. I'm trying to get that word out of my vocabulary, out of my list of phrases of reading my Bible. Small matter if you don't. I'm just trying to remind myself that it's not my Bible. It's God's Bible. Every day, learning something new. Every day, falling on a word or two or a verse or two and seeing something that I have read many, many times, but there it is, right in front of me. Yeah, and it's just a great thing. And this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. What we have here, and I won't explain it now, it's not the topic, the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but that's eternal life. And let me just say this, as you know, there's a difference between reading a book and actually knowing the author, and I've shared this with you before, but I want to say it again, that I have several volumes of books on my shelf where I not only have read the book, but was personal friends with the author. Not more than one, there's a few. Where I know the material that's in the book and I know the author. But here in the Bible, the point of this book, the major point of this book is that you get to know the author. It's not precisely a biography or autobiography, it's just that the point of this is to direct us back to the garden to have fellowship with the one true God. That's life eternal. Now, the title of the message, How to Win the Game of Life, 
brings me to a place in my own life. When I was first introduced to the game of chess, I'm thinking I was about six or seven years old. My best friend, whom I spent a lot of time with during those years, running around what we call the middle lots. Remember, I grew up in a row house, one of the places we lived anyway, a row house made for carpet mill workers. Oh, pastor, this used to be a carpet mill town, really. My grandfather was a loom fixer. He was a foreman in the carpet mills. He could throw a rock through the windows from my house. So God sent me to this little city because it's so much like the bigger city that I grew up in. Anyway, we would frolic around and play around. But my friend, his name was Hugh, and he was an immigrant, Irish immigrant, from Dublin. And here we are, six or seven years old. Kind of shows you the difference in background now between Europe and America. I remember it was a Saturday, and I remember it was a rainy day. And so we were in the house, and we were at his house. And his mom, Mrs. Murphy, made us some jello or something. And let's play this, and let's play that. I was always an imaginative kid. You know, can make up games. And, and he said, well, let's play chess. I said, what's chess? So he brings out the chess board, and he sets it up, and he's explaining things to me. This is the rook, and this is the bishop, and this is the king, and this is the queen, and these are the knights, and on and on, which didn't make much sense to me. I had, at that point, learned checkers. I also learned how to play solitaire from my grandfather, you know, the loom fixer. And I was used to solitaire, learned that at a young age. I still play it. But chess was foreign to me. So I went along with Hugh and started to move pieces, and he kept constantly correcting me. You can't do that. And he was showing me how the knight moves, you know, three spaces, one, two, and three, and all of these things. And it just didn't make any sense to me. But here, another seven-year-old is explaining to me a game he had already learned, and we went from there. From the beginning, I was a lousy chess player. And to date, I'm happy to tell you, I'm still a lousy chess player. I found it boring. I love to think, and chess is a thinking man's game, but I just, I found it boring. So finally he got frustrated with me, we wound up playing something else, something more to my liking, like Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and he was never Roy Rogers, I can tell you that. When he would object to being Dale Evans, I'd say, all right, you trigger. <laughs> and that was my way of getting even, I guess, for teaching me chess. They say that if you want to be a grand master in chess, you have to begin at the age of five. It's the same with being a virtuoso on an instrument. You got to begin very early. There's so much to learn, so much to know, so much to perfect. But I like to use as an allegory the game of chess and compare it to life, specifically our life in Christ. So the first thing, which should be obvious, is that you have to know the purpose of the game. So there I am on a rainy Saturday with my friend Hugh, and he's trying to tell me the purpose of the game is to trap the king or capture the king through mate, checkmate. And I got the purpose, but it was all the other dynamics that I didn't quite get. For instance, the rules of the game, I didn't quite understand them. The players and how they move, why they go in different directions, how the bishop can go straight across the board in a diagonal fashion, either on white or green or whatever kind of board you're playing on. The function of the rooks, how they simply go down the files or they can go across the ranks and so on. I didn't understand the purpose of the game and I want to submit to you that in order to win the game of life, you have to know what is the purpose. You know, why are we here? I shared with you last week, I believe it was Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Now, that's the ultimate question for many, many people. 
Why are we here? Why was I born? What's the purpose of all that? And if you don't understand the purpose of this game of life, remember, I use game as an allegory. Obviously, life is not a game, but it will become the allegorical equivalent of what we are doing or trying to do here with a Bible in our hands. What is the purpose? What is this game all about? Then you have to know the rules of the game. You can't violate the rules. Thirdly, you've got to know how each player works. Once you understand the purpose, which is to mate, checkmate, trap, capture the king, then you have to know how the players move. You've got to know the players. Then fourthly, after knowing these three things, the purpose of the game, the rules of the game, the players of the game, then fourthly, you have to have a plan. You see, you don't play chess, and for those of you, I know some of you do play. It's entirely frustrating to go through 50, 60, 70, 100 moves or more only to bring yourself to a draw. In other words, you can wipe out all of your opponent's pieces on the board. If you can't mate that king and he can't move, it's a draw. Very frustrating. Spending all that time making all these clever, smart, erudite moves only to find the game in a draw. And so you have to have a strategy. And then lastly, number five, you have to play to win. Now like me, I found chess from the beginning to be boring. I actually enjoyed solitaire more. But obviously many people don't find it boring and they can spend an entire lifetime studying this very fascinating game called chess. Men write, well I said men, men and women write books on the movements of the pieces and theories of the opening part of the game, of the middle part of the game, of the end game, all of this for their whole life. Well, whether you ever become an advocate of chess or not, doesn't matter much in the entire scheme of things, but you better become a student of life. You better know why you're here. What is the purpose of all this? C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Problem of Pain. What was the purpose after he lost his wife and he married a little later in life? What was the purpose? And so many, many people sitting in a church or with the church don't know what the purpose is. I just shared this with you, and I want to repeat myself. The purpose of every church, and there's only one, is to make disciples. This is eternal life, that they might know you. Or we find in Romans 8, 29, I went over that with you a few nights ago, a few days ago. And for whom he did foreknow, them did he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you're sitting here today, you're watching by television, listening by way of radio, and you did not really know what was the purpose of being a part of the church, a member of the church. Now you know. Training to know the one true God. That's why we're here. And through hundreds and, at this point, thousands of messages I've given to you here in upstate New York, we come out this with a strategy from all types of angles, just like a chessboard, chess pieces. But the main purpose of this game of life is to know God. Now, I assume you understand this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. You must know that I'm not simply saying an academic understanding that, well, I believe there's a God. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's to know him in a way that you cannot know him without the power and authority of God's own spirit that has to be given to you. In other words, it's not just an academic knowledge of the Bible. I had an English professor. He taught the book of Job as literature.
There are literary portions of the Bible. Job is one and so forth, Psalms. But the purpose of that is to know God, to know his ways. Let me give you an example. Sometimes people would say to me, or I've heard it said about me, how does he know these things? I mean, how do I know when someone's behaving like that, that that's going to be the outcome? It's in the book. How do I know that some people can't take the heat of hearing the word of God preached? I attempt to do it undiluted. I can't say I'm successful, but that's my attempt to give it to you undiluted. And they gristle, and they walk away not understanding what was the purpose. The purpose, here Jesus tells us, is to truly know God and that knowledge we find in Romans 8.29 says we are to be conformed to his image. And let me add something else in there as well. The path to being conformed to the image of Christ is through the cross. But not just Jesus' cross. Our personal crucifixion. And that's where the going gets rough. That's when we start to talk to God and we say to God, I don't understand. Why is this falling out in my life? But if we go back to Romans 8, 28, the one verse that most every Christian knows is, and we know all things, not just the pleasant things, but the unpleasant things, all things work together for the good of them that love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And going right back into verse 29, and for whom he did foreknow, them did he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And the means of that being conformed is through the personal crucifixion, which is, and again, it's more of another allegory of self-discipline, which is also a fruit of the Spirit. After the eight are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23, then the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. See, the crucifixion we know is the atonement of Jesus' crucifixion but our crucifixion is one of continual self-discipline. Something, by the way, so many people today lack. They can't accomplish anything because there's no self-discipline. I'm outside the bounds of the Bible for a moment. You want to be good at anything, you want to be great at something, you're going to need a lot of discipline. Further, let me just mention one other thing. My issue with some fellowships is that when you bring people in under certain pretenses, I'm not even saying the pastors are lying. I'm just saying you bring them in with these novelties. My question always has been, now how do you get them to the cross? How do you get those same people to live a disciplined life or life on the cross? For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life of Christ is living in me. You see, this is what John the Baptist meant. He must increase, but I must decrease. But some say, well, he's going to increase, and I'm going to increase, and we're both going to increase, and it don't work that way. It's against the whole scheme. As Jesus increases in our life, you're finding yourself being diminished, diminished through all types of circumstances and tools that God uses to get us there. The purpose of this game of life is to know God, not merely academically, but to know him so that you can say, and I've told you this story, but I want to repeat it because it's apropos. Here I am in a conversation with an educated man, a man that served this country for 50 years, became a friend of mine, and we're on the topic of God. And he used to like to poke at me. Well, whoever he or she is, and that was to get a response out of me. And I would always just smile and say, well, God chose to identify himself as a male. I'm not saying God is a male. Well, Jesus was. But he 
chose to identify himself as a male. And then we went to this here. I'll never forget this day. Then he was telling me that you really can't know when he brought in his philosophies that he had studied. And I told him, but I know him. And he told me directly, remember this man was at the Pentagon level. You can't know. And I said, I do know. And he said, you can't know. And I said, I do know. <laughs> and he backed off. These were his words. He said, you're a very lucky young man. I said, well, luck has nothing to do with it there. I know him. And I said, and you can know him. That's the purpose of why we're here, why I'm teaching. That's the purpose of why you are saved. That you might know God and Jesus Christ. And I'll say, I'll, I'll presume that you read the Bible. Many people don't. Many professing Christians have never read the Bible cover to cover. And please don't be one of them. Don't be embarrassed that you spent the last 40 years or so, you never read the Bible cover to cover. Start today. Start today. And start now. We are here, the purpose of this game of life, right? This is the purpose, first point, that we may know God. Okay. So we go from that to playing by the rules. Now, in competitive chess, and I know that all of you here who do play are casual players. You play at home, some play in the park, which is fine. It's a good game. But if you're on the tournament level and you're in the top tier, uh, Magnus Carlsen and some of these men, to not know the rules is unacceptable. To not know some of the, I say, minor rules, that when you're on the top tier, they're not minor, but a move like en passant. You do that in the casual game and say, well, you can't do that. You can't take my pawn. You're cheating. But at the top tier, they understand that en passant is a legitimate move. You want to know what that means? Look it up. When you're in check, in the casual game, you say, check. But at the top tier, they don't even alert their player, their opponent, that the king is in check. Because you're supposed to know that. If the rules are held very stringently, you can either be penalized or the game is over because you didn't recognize that you were in check. Well, that we're talking about the master's level and grandmaster's level, but the point is this. You've got to know what the rules are. I might go back to my friend Hugh. He must have been a fairly good chess player because he was constantly frustrated with my little moves because I didn't understand the game at all. Constantly frustrated with me. You can't do that. You can't do that. So I don't know what I'm doing. After a while, we just dismissed it and started playing with the teddy bear. I think I brought a teddy bear down. Started playing with the teddy bears or something. Okay, so you know the purpose is to know God. Now you must play by the rules. You can't, you know, what do we teach kids when they're little, same age, maybe a little younger? Hey, now draw inside the lines. And, you know, then kids don't have much control over their fine motor skills, so we look at this like this. Oh, that's pretty. When they're three years old, I was, oh, that's nice. You know, I actually have some things hanging around here or there. Of things drawn for me by kids and then grandkids, you know, they're all out of the lines, love you, pop, or love you, dad, and it makes your heart feel good, but that was great at four. Now the same kid comes home from art school, and it's the same picture, and he's 25 years old. I say, aren't you supposed to stay, like, within the lines? No, don't judge my heart. You don't know my heart. And I'll tell you, so when it comes to art, I, I have never really been able to understand some of these forms of art. And say, it's genius. I'm telling you the truth. I know I hear these names, some of these famous painters and artists, and I say to myself, how do I know a monkey didn't do that? <laughs> I know that I did it in kindergarten. Did any of you guys have finger paints in kindergarten? You just go like this. Oh, that's nice. 
which is fine when you're in kindergarten, but now you're going to go to, and I'll mention this a little bit later, the Louvre in Paris and say, can you hang this on your wall? With the Mona Lisa's there. I don't think so. And why? Because you never, from three or four years old, you never began to understand little and by little the rules of art. Same with music. There's an expression in music. If you can't play it slow, you can't play it fast. Doesn't matter if it's guitar or drums or piano or anything else. If you can't play it slow, you can't play it fast. So you got to start off with basics. If you're not playing by the rules, <laughs> you're going to be a whole heap of trouble. Because you're going to wonder why. Prayer doesn't work. Don't tell me about prayer, Pastor. Prayer doesn't work. My response to that would be, no, you don't know how to work it. You're not playing by the rules. You're drawing outside the lines and expecting that God's going to say, that's a work of art. It's not a work of art. It's kid stuff. And that's okay with respect to the Bible. It's okay when you're first born again. But when it gets down to 20 years later and you're still drawing the Lord the same way, it's not acceptable. Just not. You're supposed to be growing and learning and not, again, just Bible verses. Let me tell you something about the intellect. And I've met them. There are many good Christians that really can quote the scriptures like this. When you watch their behavior, you say, what have they learned? It's all intellectualized. That's not the purpose of the game of life. The purpose of the game of life is that you actually know God and your behavior reflects it. Perfection, we know that we don't have perfection, but your behavior reflects that you actually know God. You walk differently because you know God. Your confidence is ever growing. That's what we find in the scriptures. The faith is actually one of the fruit of the Spirit. You start out by believing God, the Holy Spirit's helping you along the whole time, and your faith is growing. And as you get older, your faith is strong and stronger. So when younger Christians come in, ideally, and by the rules of the game, you're supposed to be the one that's strong in faith. But how many times it was in Jesus' ministry, people who had very little knowledge come in with great faith, and he would say, great is thy faith. I have not found such great faith. No, not in Israel. Now we just transfer that and say, no, not even in the church. How long have you been in the church? I've been in the church all my life. But this new guy that just came in is getting answers to prayer, and you're still not getting answers to prayer. And why? Because you're not playing by the rules. Hey, pastor, how do I know the rules? Read the book. If you aspire to be very proficient at chess, if you aspire or you want your grandchildren or your children to be chess masters, you're going to have to teach them the rules. They're never going to make any progress once they go to the intermediate level. They're never going to be able to play because they not know the rules. And then it's really game over. An intermediate player on up to the top tier is not going to entertain playing with someone who doesn't know the rules. And let me say this. Aren't we living in a time of incredible biblical ignorance? I'm going to share this with you openly, just to shed light on Satan. You know, in one day, twice in one day, I was called by a couple of people, a cult leader, then a Pharisee. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. You prove it with this. Prove it with this. And the funny thing is, and Satan is clever, but you're looking at a man who I don't think there's a person on the globe that hates manipulation more than I do. I hate to be manipulated, and I do not manipulate people. Cult leaders manipulate. They tell you, hey, you look good today when you're really kind of ugly. Or, hey, I like that dress when the dress is really not so pretty, and on and on. Well, you look great, and you gain 50 pounds. Lots of manipulation. They want something from you. Not only your money, it could be other things. And so I find it entertaining because I'm not really concerned about what people say. I have one mission, make disciples. 
And if someone says, well, that's not what we're looking for, then there's not much I can do but to pray that you wait. I say you, that these people wake up because this preacher has told you for all my ministry. When I was in youth ministry, I would always say it, and I say it now. Go home and read it. Go home and read it for yourself. See if I got it right. Look up Matthew Henry. Look up Clark. All these expositors and theologians and pastors from the past and see if it matches up. See if what I'm saying matches up. You have to know the rules You have to know the purpose. What did God say to his people in Hosea 4, 6? He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law. All right, I'm using the word rules, but this is what it is. The law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Now, I want to say one thing here as well. This is where any person really could read this. And it seems that God is so austere, so demanding. Well, first of all, he's God. I don't get up in the morning and ask my dog, what do you want to do? It's up to you. My dog does what I tell him. Is that cruel? No, it's good for the dog. It's good for me. It's good for everybody. And when you've got a 100-pound East German shepherd that has a great intellect, they figure out right away, he's not in charge. I'm alpha. And when that dog becomes alpha, you got problems. But so is your dog. They'll run out and chase a car, which won't be good for the dog. God may seem austere to the uninitiated, but God is saying, listen, I'm giving you the laws and commands and principles because they're good for you. Covered this with you last week. I want to mention it briefly. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Oh, I wish I could. I really wish I could get there, but I'm a 24-7 guy. What else can we say but you're a fool? You don't understand the rules. And then you're going to call who up? I'm so tired. I mean, I'm wiped out. What's the definition of insanity? It's the doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. So here's my hand, and here's a ball-peen hammer. Whack! Ah! All the way down to the emergency room. They set it. It takes a month, six weeks, whatever it is. It's all set. You're running down to the emergency room. You've been here, the doctor says, five times this year. Why do you keep banging your hand? Not accidentally. You're, maybe you're a Christian scientist and you're trying to prove this mind over matter. I'm not really in pain. Which, by the way, if I ever meet one, I have met some, I would say, just put your hand out there and whack that hand with a ball, peeing hammer and say, you're not really in pain. You just think you're in pain. Oh, now you think you're in the emergency room. Oh, now you think you're in the OR. Well, okay. Insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Someone figures out, whoa, put the ball peen hammer away. This is not good for the metacarpals. Not good for your hand. Two things so far. You've got to know the purpose, and I've given it to you. Jesus gives it to us. It's to know God. And to know God is more than just an academic knowledge. I mean, you actually know God. And even if you're in a, well, I'll call it an academic discussion, in my case it was a bit of a debate, and you say, but I know him. And we say with the Apostle Paul, for I have known whom I have believed. The Apostle Paul, who knew the scriptures better than him? There wasn't many amongst the disciples, but he said, I have known whom I have believed. Then he talks about putting away everything that I may know him, because that's eternal life. Then there's the rules of the game. If you want to win, and I sure hope that you do, because this is not a game. You could lose a chess and still go to heaven, but you can't lose at this game. 
Mm -mm. You've got to know the rules. Here they are. Now, the players of the game, and I want to make this simple. Obviously, chess has various players. But to make it simple, the players of the game of life are basically three. There's God, there's man, and there's Satan. If you don't understand the players, it's problematic. Let's talk about the world we live in. Starting with your pastor, we have all registered complaints about we don't like the way things are. We're going to make a difference, and I hope that we can. But if we're going to make a difference, it's going to have to be done God's way. God's <coughs> way. How do I know that? Well, I read the Bible. But I also know that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people is only as good as the people. So if the people keep saying, hey, wow, why should I go to work at $15, $17, and $20 an hour? Because I'm making more because the government's giving it to us. Juvenal, the uh, philosopher, Roman philosopher, stated that the Romans had traded in their freedoms for bread and circuses. It's happened before. Free bread and circuses. That's how they entertain the people to keep their minds off the deterioration of the Roman government. What's happening in America? Here's money. Uh, most of us worked. I've been on the books since I was 15. I've never been unemployed. I actually like working. So we're going to tug a war and fight and go home all frustrated and kicking things about this present world. But God says, and we'll get to this in a little bit, God says through the Apostle Paul, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against Democrats, communists, socialists, and Republicans, and whoever else is out there. He says, what's behind all of this is Satan. The God of this world, small g, the God of this world, if we don't see that, well, I'm not saying now I'm not making it to heaven. I'm just simply saying it's not likely that we're going to see much in this land until we learn that prayer before God with a penitent and humble heart is God's way. It's God's rule. It's God's principle. Then we won't be able to see quotes like the ones we read from American history. The founders, all of them, especially the ones, and I say especially the ones, but the ones that you don't hear much about. Elias Boudinet, who's he? He's a founding father. You ever read him? Well, I've read Franklin and John. Yeah, of course. We won't read these guys because they're very at the top there. You know, they're always in the front somehow. Read through these other people that signed the Declaration of Independence, signed the Constitution. Do you know them? Do you know what they believed? Read their own words. Don't read what the media is telling you what they said. Read what they said. Well, that's work. Can't help you there. I can't help you. I'm not going to do your homework. You do your homework. Anyway, the players, we have Satan. But let's go immediately to God, the purpose of this game. Now, remember, it's an allegory. It's not a game. When we look at God, we can say with the hymn writer, Spafford, it is well with my soul because I know God and I know his ways. I just finished reading the book of Job. Job had, you know, a good argument going there, and his friends came, and they weren't justifying anybody. And Elihu comes along, and he's rebuking everybody. Then God comes. And says, the Lord answered him out of the whirlwind. And I like this verse. And it's stated twice. He says, gird up your loins like a man. We're going to talk. I like that. I know it's not politically correct, and it's not very sensitive of me, but I just like when God says, stand up and act like a man. I'm going to talk to you like a man. There was no safe place to go. <laughs> God says to Job, stand up. I'm going to address you like a man, and you're going to answer me like a man. And he goes through all these questions. Where were you when? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And Job's like, I wasn't there. And then finally, Job says, God, you're magnificent. You're so powerful. And God blesses Job because God's full of mercy. Amen. He knows our estate. He knows that we're frail and weak and so on. But when you truly know God, 
and that God is truly, and it's not just a phrase, it's not just an academic thing in your head, oh, God's in control. You don't act like he's in control. You're not behaving like he's in control. Your emotions are all over the place. Then you say, oh, but God's in control. That's what you purport to believe, but it's not what you actually believe. Let me say it this way. Something you say you value must be turned into a virtue. If what you're purporting as a value is not translated in your behavior, there's some disconnect. You say you believe God's in control, but your behavior, when you look at it and examine it, is saying, who's in control? Who's in control? You can thank God. No president of the United States, beginning with Washington, was ever in complete control. But God from the beginning has been, and he still is, and he always will be. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord there is everlasting strength. Everlasting. It's not a 90-day trial and it runs out on day 91, so get premium. You ever sign up for free things? There's nothing free. Every time I sign up for something free... It's like, want to remove the ads, which come up every three seconds? Go premium. It's only $14 a day. <laughs> when you really know God, when you know eternal life, or rather you have eternal life, and you know God in Jesus Christ, though it's painful and frustrating and so on, in the time in which we live, in the world in which we live, yet God is still supreme and God is still in control. How many things has God either permitted or ordained in my life that I simply don't like? And even though it's in the past, I still don't like it that he let that happen or whatever. But one thing I learned early on, very, very early on, I have never went to God and said, you have wronged me. Because God has never let me down. I'm speaking only for myself. He has never let me down because I haven't taken my mind off of him. And believe me, times have been difficult. Life has been difficult. But that's this life. It's filled with sin, sinners, and Satan. Let me talk about the third player, which I've omitted, is man. See, you're the peace Satan's looking for. You're the king, and in a matter of speaking, you're a king's kid, right? Satan's looking to trap you, to mate you. So there's no more moves left. But if you don't know the purpose of the game, if you don't know the rules of the game, Satan wins. And we know from reading the scriptures, Jesus tells us that at the end of this game of life, Satan will have won most of the contests he was in with people. So now you have got to say to yourself, I have a plan. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm coming into this game of life with a plan. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not your might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That tells us right from the beginning we're in a fight. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles is a Greek word that means a strategy. You see... Master chess players, even intermediate players, maybe not beginners, but even some beginners, they come into the game with a strategy. Which pawn do you move first? Maybe you don't move the pawn first. Maybe you move your knight. There's different strategies. And depending on what side of the board you're on, white always moves first. But you say you're black, so now you're put at a small disadvantage because white moved first. Now you have to react and so on. You have to have a plan. God gives us the plan for the game of life. Verse 12, Ephesians 6 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, let me just say this to Americans. 
although there's many people overseas watching us, if you don't understand that behind authority is the spirit, spiritual realm. Behind true preaching is the spirit of God. Behind authorities that are evil are evil spirits. Then you're going to lose because you're going to look at flesh and blood and say, you're my problem. And God said, I just told you, you're fighting against evil spirits. Man is held responsible for his decisions, but you're fighting against spirits. Satan, from the beginning, as Jesus tells us, is a liar and he's the father of lies. So he's always looking to deceive. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, you're still standing. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith wherewith ye may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This tells us he's firing at us. He's firing at us. But the shield of faith it catches each one. And take the helmet of salvation. Better protect your head. And the sword of the spirit. We get to fight back. Which is the word of God. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted and Satan says, hey, bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, it is written. And then Satan gets clever and he says, well, it is written. And Jesus says, it is written again. This is move and counter move, move and counter move, not much different from the game of chess. And then Satan comes the last and final time, the third time, and he says, it is written. Jump off this mountain for it is written. And he quotes from Psalm 91. And Jesus says, it is written again. And then it says, and the devil departed from him for a season. He's coming back again. No worries. We got a shield and we got a sword. And in the end, in this book, because Jesus has always won the battle, which is not analogous to chess, the game is actually over. He mated Satan on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And now the Bible says, and we are more than conquerors if we play by the rules know the purpose of the game know the players that are in the game we win we win let me finish this in verse 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance that means the prayer life takes some discipline anybody could pray for an hour the flash in the pan the pastor says hey did you pray for me sure yeah six years ago Six years ago, I need prayer today. I'm going to need prayer tomorrow. And so do you. Watching thereunto, listen to this, with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints, praying for each other. There are times, and I've told you this, that I know that I'm being held up. I mean, this way. I'm upright because someone's praying for me. Yeah. Beyond my own prayer life, you are praying for me, and I can sense I'm being held up. And we know what I do usually when that's the case? I start singing. I'm all by myself, but I just start singing. I can sense the strength coming in. By the Spirit of God, through the prayers of other people. Look at verse 19. The Apostle Paul asks for prayer. He says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly. We don't find the Apostle Paul going around half apologetically and saying, I know you're not going to get this, but you know, well, I hope this don't offend you. Boom! He was just preaching the gospel. Yeah. Paid a price for it, but he's preaching the gospel. To make known the mystery of the gospel. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel in this hour. 
We need boldness, not arrogance, not rudeness, not pride. We need boldness. We need people who have actually been with God in prayer, spent time with God, and so on and so forth, so that when we come out, we can speak confidently. I do know him. This church here, you know how many great responses have we had from God through prayer over the years? Tremendous answers to prayer. Tremendous answers to prayer. So that we become more bold. And we're not just in some philosophical debate on a campus somewhere. But there's power. Real power in the testimony of someone that knows God. Lastly, when you play the game of life, you play to win. You don't play to a draw. Play to win. Brothers and sisters, if there was ever a game you play to win, it's the game of life. Play to win. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? Everybody's running? Everybody's running, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Run to win. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Run to win. And every man that striveth for the mastery, what I was saying a little while ago, is temperate. He's disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. That would be shadow boxing. Shadow boxing is really easy. You always win. Hitting the heavy bag is just as easy. You always win, but not so much when you're in the ring. Your opponent hits back. But I keep under my body. I keep my body under control, and I bring it into subjection that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. One of the great things about this life in Christ is that it's not depending on who's the cleverest, who's the smartest in the class, who's the strongest, most imposing individual. In the world, there's a place for that. But here, every one of us have one thing in common that makes us all equal, and that's the prayer life, obedience to God, not dependent on anything except the Spirit. Admiral McRaven, a decorated Navy SEAL, talks about the time when he was being recruited by the SEALs, walks into the office where the recruiter was, passes by two, again, decorated Navy SEALs, imposing figures, you know, like the role model, the poster child for the Navy SEALs, six foot two, all this. He walks down the hallway, and he's waiting for the commander to take him into the office, go over what's going to happen. He sees this this slender, frail-looking man down the hallway there, and he's just kind of gazing at all the pictures of the combat, you know, Navy SEALs have been in, going from one to the other. And he's wondering to himself, this guy's kind of frail-looking, got a kind of a mop-style haircut, you know, doesn't look like much. And he's wondering to himself, does this guy really think he has what it takes to be a Navy SEAL? Walks into the office, begins the interview, and then the commander says, hey, Tom, that was the same guy that was in the hallway looking at the pictures. I want you to meet, and this is Tom Norris, Tom Norris received the Medal of Honor. Tom Norris had three bronze stars, one silver star and a purple heart. Tom Norris was the last Navy SEAL to be decorated coming out of Vietnam. But see, you look at somebody's appearance and say, this guy, he thinks he's got, he got something. This guy's not even in the Navy SEALs and that guy's got the Medal of Honor, three bronze stars, a silver star and a purple heart. And what do we have? God is God. You could be a little child, you could be an old person, you could be weak in body and feeble in other ways, but God is God. And God cannot be defeated because he's God. You want to win the game of life. Know the purpose. Know the rules. Know how the players move. Know Satan's strategies. A whole book written on it. It's right here. It's called the Bible. His subtleties. 
Just little things, little foxes and stuff. And then you play to win. You know the players, and you play to win. You play to win this game. There was, for many years, a famous painting in the Louvre, in the Louvre Museum in Paris. And the name of the painting by Frederick Moritz August Rech was called Checkmate. 1999, it sold at auction to a private individual, and so now it's no longer in the Louvre, but it was a fascinating painting, or is a fascinating painting, painted by this German artist, Resch, and it's of Satan playing chess with another man, we would presume a Christian, and Satan's grinning, because there's no more moves left on the board. The man's been mated. Now, that's not where you want to be at the end of your life. Well, Satan has maneuvered you day by day, week after week, month after month, year after year, making really key blunders, mistakes, so that now at the end of your life, there's no place to go. And we read through the Word of God, and we see this. And so you don't want to be that other person, that other player, because we are, in a sense, playing this game of life against Satan. And he's always trying to get us into a position where we are vulnerable, where we can lose other players, and so on. You don't want to be there. You want to have that last move. Jesus, again, obtained this for us. When you move the King of kings and the Lord of lords into such a place where you could say to Satan, it's mate, and then go home and be with the Lord. We must play to win. And I'm going to pray with you right now because we are in fight for our life, fight for our life and our children's lives and the grandchildren's lives. You cannot renege on this game of life. Everybody's in it. So let's make a decision right now. With Christ in this allegory that I've given to you in the game of life, we're going to win. We're going to play to win. But you've got to play by the rules. Do you think Satan's really moved when you're angry? I can tell you he's not. He's delighted. Fighters can't lose their temper. Gunfighters certainly couldn't lose their temper. You can't think straight. You've got to stay calm. Special operators in combat cannot afford to be frustrated or angry. They're going to lose their ability to think clearly. You've got to stay calm. That's just one example. With your head bowed, are you playing to win? I mean, up to this point in time, when you came to the service today, has your attitude, I'm playing to win. I got to know a little bit more about the rules, so I got to step up on my Bible reading. Why is my business not going well? Why is my marriage not going well? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and it may not all be you, but know what's going on. Know what the strategy of Satan is. And have a strategy of your own, which is found for you, is given to you in the Bible. By the greatest master of all, Jesus Christ his spirit, his prophets, his disciples. So I'm asking you today to make a decision that you're going to play this game of life to win it, but playing it by the rules we find in the Bible, the principles. Father, we come to you today in an hour of history where we know there are many, many tactics being used against us. But Father, today we re-sign our commitment to you. Not resign, we re-sign. Because we're going to play this to win it. We're going to play this to defeat an enemy that you say has already, and tell us, has already been defeated. Oh God, in advance we will give you the praise and honor for the victory. Because that's again in your book. For the just shall live by his faith. And we have faith in you. We bless you. We praise you. So let's put some legs to our faith. I'll ask the elders to come up and grab these bottles of olive oil, symbol of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to pray, sick in body, depressed in mind, 
marriage, children, doesn't matter, job, doesn't matter what it is. We're going to pray. We're going to pray in faith. This is one of the rules. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're going to pray in faith that God is going to move. We'll have many great testimonies. So come forward. Let's have you anointed with oil. Sick in body. There is no disease that God cannot heal. There is no condition that God cannot deliver you from. Depressions and anxieties and all this. There is no situation in your marriage, your children, that is impossible. As I gave you that verse a week or two back. And nothing, he said, Jesus said, if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing shall be impossible unto you. So I'm believing with everything I've said so far, and there'll be more to come, that we're going to have a church filled with so many testimonies. Changed lives, healings. Because that's the, that's, the that's the normal Bible. That's the normal New Testament. That's how it's supposed to be. And though we'll be tested and tried, that's for sure, we still will be able to stand, having done everything to stand. So, Father, we bless you. It doesn't matter if it's diabetes or heart disease or cancers. It doesn't matter, really, whatever the obstacle may be today. You're God. When you take your mighty hand and go through time from eternity, you reach down right now through time, and you touch us. We're able to say, he touched me. Oh, the joy that fills my soul. Something happened. My wife years ago was prayed for, many, many years ago, for a problem she had. And she said she felt it. She just felt it in her body. And she's been healed ever since that, that time. Whether you feel it or not, that's not material. The thing is believe. God is touching you now. Say it when you go home. Say it all day tomorrow. God has touched me. He's touching me. I thank you, Lord. I bless you. I praise you. I give you all this thanks. All the gratitude. So now, Lord, I look forward to the testimony. Some are already coming forward. We've been hearing them over the last few weeks. And there'll be more to come. We pray for this building over here to our left. If it's your will that we should have it, we will have it. We will have it. And if it's not, that's fine. We just move on as we go forward. We bless you and we praise you, O God. Right now, he's moving. In the body, in the mind, in the soul, in marriage, in your children, whatever. Whatever, at your job. Thank you, God. Thank you. Hallelujah, Lord God. We bless your mighty name. We bless your mighty name. He touched me. Hallelujah. Let's give him one more hand clap offering this morning. Praise your mighty name, O God. You're a shelter in the time of storm. You're our rock, our tower, fortress. Now, Lord, as we go to our various places, wherever people are going, most are going home, give safe traveling mercies to all. As we prayed earlier at the beginning of the service, I pray and believe that the shine has been put back on people's spirits. And go out into this world and face it with confidence. Boldness to the God that rules over all. And I also pray that during this day, tomorrow, and all this week, each day you would remind us to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. And when we turn to each other, we will pray for each other. In Jesus' mighty name, let everybody say, Amen. 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 Amen.